How we doing, everybody? It's Dyslexic Dylan here, back with another interview. Today, we've got a really good guest, special guest. Actually, one that I could say I know pretty well. Today's guest would be my twin brother, Alexander Smith. How we doing, Xander? I'm doing pretty good. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Can you hear me? I, I can hear you perfectly fine, yeah. Okay, great. So, you know, with us being twins, I have dyslexia, and that's a learning disability. That's what the show's about, right? Yeah. But I overcame it. I went through it. With us being twins and living together, I feel like you would have been there and had some insight. Yeah, I would assume so as well. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. So uh, with that being said, we, um, I went through it. So I wanted to get everybody's lenses and perspective on it. And I really appreciate coming on the show to do that. So let's go all the way back, you know, elementary school. I always looked up to you, right? Because we'd be in a class together and you would be like, spew out some crazy words and the teacher would be like, oh my God, this kid could teach a class for me. And I'm like, dude, I thought we were in third grade. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's just a difference of, of how you look at things and everything's perspective because what you thought was maybe a disadvantage or your insecurities and all that, it's, it reflects on how you act, uh, how, you, how you speak, everything, right? So... I actually would look at you and I would be jealous of certain aspects that you would hold. So you had this infectious nature about you and you could talk to people and make friends like that. It was just almost instantaneous. You wouldn't know their middle name, but all of a sudden you got them talking about their favorite color, what's their favorite car, their sister, everything. And I could never do that. So I don't think it would be fair to say that you would look up to me because I think we looked at each other and we, we both wanted certain aspects that we both hold. We're sort of yin and, y- yin and yang, right? I gotcha. You're yin, I'm yang, whatever you want. But we have a piece of each other, right? But not the whole bit. Sort of how yin and yangs work. So growing up with a dyslexic brother, right? And I mean, we out misdiagnosed, wrong medication. What did, you, what did you learn through that, right? So you learned a lot about disabilities in themselves. Well, I'd say I learned a lot through disabilities, not only from just having you, but also with my own learning disability, with dysgraphia, right? So um, with you, I think it was more of just where you were diagnosed and and how you were diagnosed, for instance. I don't know if you went over this in any other podcasts, but when you were diagnosed with ADHD, you were in New Hampshire, and that's a very rural area, and it's an area with not a lot of resources or, or what have you. There's not too much there other than trees and not much else. Right, and a CVS, CVS. If you're lucky, yeah. Um, but so they diagnosed you with ADHD because when you have a very young and rowdy boy who doesn't like to do his schoolwork because it makes his head hurt, you can miss some things, right? And you know, I'm not blaming anyone here. I'm not saying they didn't do a perfect job because they did the best with the tools they had. Now, when you moved to New York, fast forward years later, and Dan said, hey, listen, a piece to this puzzle is missing. He's not, he's, he's trying to pay attention, but he, the, the understanding of the curriculum and the comprehension of the things he's supposed to read is off. And he, he sort of started that with you on that track and he helped a lot with that. So I think it was, that's probably how you got misdiagnosed. And I think it probably taught you a lot as well as me and everyone, mainly like the overdiagnose overdiagnosing of ADHD in general. Yeah. So looking back, we did had in eighth grade, had to go to Hunters and Learning Center. And that is when 
I talked to him, and that is when um, we the process started. But I didn't know it started at that time. So he sent us both the hunting thing, and I remember be, you being upset. You being upset, we both went and thinking that I only had the problem. But he was allowing us both evaluated to compare us in regards to where we are. If we do a program, do we learn from it? And then you have a test when you come in at Huntington Learning Center. You have a certain amount of weeks. And then when you're done, they evaluate you. You take the same test, and then they compare scores. Oh, he came, he did this. His, his score usually improved. He keeps doing it to get smarter. And that's, that's the business structure there. With me... That business structure spoke volumes. It was a $10,000 program. I did the program. My, my grade got worse. I mean, yeah, I think that's just probably because Huntington wasn't for you. It, it wasn't designed for children with any learning disabilities. It was designed for the kid who is down the street and doesn't like to study, and it's hard for him. It's sort of that business model of, well, if you can't help your kids study, then here's an, an outlet to help him study with, with them. And I think this was used with Dan more as like a baseline to find out, okay, I have two children who have learning disabilities. I'm going to see their baselines, and I'm going to act appropriately according to those those results. And with you, I think that was probably the spark that went, something's missing here, because usually if you do something repetitively over and over and over again, your scores go up. I mean, that's with a lot of things. The more you do it, the better you get. However, with you, it slowly started to decline. And that sort of was the message that sent to Dan, like, oh, something's off. I need to get something else checked. So then when, did you realize that was when the process started or no? I had Um, no idea. No, I didn't realize that was when the process started because I was, God, how old were we? Like what? Eighth grade. So. 13, 14, something like that. Um, You go to high school at 15 years old, so. 15 years old at sophomore year 14 okay gotcha um but it's i didn't realize that all i thought was i'm being punished because dylan doesn't (laughs) i I thought i was being punished i mean looking back now i understand that's not really the case and it was more of a a comparison as here are these two kids how are they going to do how are they going to do right um with uh their performances and how am i going to go forward with the future but um, looking back at when I was there, I thought it was a punishment. I thought I was like, well, I'm doing good in school. Why am I going to tutoring? Yeah. And then Marta Flom. I also didn't know what was going on there. I thought it was another test and evaluation, which it was. You went, you were there to like hang out. I remember we'd like for breaks, we'd go to CVS and Rite Aid and grab snacks. But when did you realize the process started for me? Um, I don't think I really realized when the process started. I think... I sort of, because I wasn't really aware of what Dan was doing. I wasn't aware of what anything was really happening. I I was just under the assumption of, well, Dylan's doing this one thing. Dan thinks this one thing. And it's sort of an inquiry that we're going to find something out about. I realized that something was off probably near the end of the whole being diagnosed. Like once you came out and they're like, all right, he's dyslexic. I'm like, oh, he is? That's interesting. I didn't know that. I think we all had that realization. Yeah. Um, with being, so I always hated as kids being in a class with you. I, I can very much. I felt so inferior and embarrassed, honestly, because like I wanted to be the class clown. I wanted to be the cool kid, the likable kid, the I'm here to make jokes, make people laugh, feel better and not take a test and not do homework and not learn about George Bush. Well, I think besides that George Bush comment, (laughs) I don't know where that came from, but, um, I, w- I would say that was probably your best effort to deflect, right? 
I'm not the best at reading. I don't really comprehend what's happening here. And the two places I think you really dealt with it most would be like history and biology because there are bigger words in those classes that are harder. It was the textbooks. It's very intimidating, right? Because with the history, it's a lot of memorization. Yeah. I don't got that. Yeah. So you should be, and also the note taking, right? Because like you get great on your note taking abilities and I would be, he's writing on the board. He's talking. There's a video playing. You've got to copy those notes and give them in. He grades them. Also, you have to understand what's going on. For me to pay attention to the video, pay attention to him, write the notes down, then be legible, and then me go, okay, this is exactly what I needed to learn and study. I understand the structure completely, and for many, it works. For me, it's like two big words, fail the notes, understand a little bit, go home, time to study, what the heck's going on? I don't know. I've got George Bush and a tank on my paper. I mean, yeah, I could actually sort of uh, relate to that because um, I'm not sure if anyone listening here understands, but dysgraphia is sort of a, a disability where you there's a sort of a neurological disconnect between the small motor functions in your hand. So that makes writing extremely hard. So fine motor functions like writing a T, you'd, I'd have to sit there and I'd have to think about what does a T look like? And I'd have to methodically... And slowly go over, this is a T, and then the H, and then the E, and I've now wrote the, and the teacher's on the board, and he's already at the word president, and he's two sentences down from me. So I I could relate a lot to your frustrations when it comes to note-taking. So when I look at a textbook and you open it up, science or social studies, because you're just like a tiny picture and 2,000 words. Yeah. With that as being dyslexic, you look at it, and then you, you, you try to read it, and you get overwhelmed. Then it goes blurry, and then little things don't come unblurry, and they're like sentences. And then you've ever seen the intro to the Jetsons? Ah, uh, yes. They start doing that from page to page. They but then while they're out. doing this, the letters inside are doing this, like a tilt a whirl. Yeah. And you're like, oh heck no! And now <laughs> I'm dizzy. <laughs> I can only imagine. And then the teacher's like, hey, you got to be reading. Why are you not paying attention? And now I'm getting scolded for trying to not puking in. Trying to not puke in science class. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Not trying to see the chicken fingers from lunch. So I'm yeah. like, what the heck? And then what was rough is when it's the two. In, in high school, you do two periods of science in a row. Oh, yeah, the lab. But we, my setup was you went from social studies to science to science. Thank God that year I finished with gym so I could, you know, end on some kind of a note. Yeah. But with that being said, I went to BOCES and so did you. Yes, I did. For me, BOCES was the highlight of my day because it was all hands-on. And I could focus. And I mean, I had more interest in it only because it was not ordinary traditional schooling. Yeah. I mean, it was trade school. And also I've, I think I I read somewhere or heard from somebody, it might've been you actually, who said that dyslexic people actually have an easier time coding and you went to BOCES for computer sciences. So that was probably one of the reasons why it was easier and more fun for you as BOCES probably is for a lot of kids who go there and um, just how it works. I mean, I went for sports medicine and I liked it because in actual high school, because I had an IEP, all of the teachers would look at me and they'd be like, well, I really don't think that these upper level college classes are the best for you because there's a lot of notes you need to write. And maybe you should rethink that decision. And, oh, I don't know. Are you really ready for this? And when I went to Dr. Brightman's, um, class, he didn't say any of that to me. He looked at me. He knew what I wanted. I was very determined. And he said, all right, you're in the class. I mean, it was a very small class and he didn't judge me for the disability I had. And he didn't assume I can do any less because of that. 
I mean, you. I always looked at you, educationally speaking, book smarts. Yeah. I don't. This is far fetched in your your lens, though. But the beautiful thing about the reason you're on my show is that the whole experience happened through so many different lenses that it was seen so many different ways. And somewhere in the middle is where it makes sense. It's like Costco and an ophthalmologist. <laughs> so, to me, I'd go light bulb. The name Xander comes in the head. Einstein's on the other side. Well, I wouldn't. Xander com- Einstein. I wouldn't compare myself to Einstein. I don't think I would, I'm that, on that level. That's where I am in my optical view of you. So, you know, you'd watch the History Channel while I played with trucks as kids. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on, but then I remember we get into school... And you're saying these crazy words, and I remember not knowing what's going on, and I didn't, I wasn't a, obviously officially diagnosed for 10 plus years. No fault to our parents or anybody, just doctors and teachers saying the same thing. I mean, anybody would be like, well, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Throw them on the medication. Yeah. So seeing me on the med- medication and acting like I was, I used to pick my nose, I'd open up a, a crossword puzzle or... And stuff like that, but I wouldn't do them. I would color in like the D's, the O's, anything with a bubble in it, and yeah. I'd do a whole book. And looking back, that's weird. Did you? What did you think when I like I'd pick my face and I'd move fast or I'd eat a lot? I mean, I I was a child at the time, so I really didn't understand the effects that those kinds of medications had on you. Although now, um, going to school for a lot of uh, medically intensive things like i'm taking anatomy and physiology in college to, uh, in this semester and you know the sports medicine program and stuff i now looking back have a better picture on what kinds of drugs you were on and i i understand that chemically it's very uh, a lot of people are going to go crazy when i say this but it's chemically very similar to methamphetamines okay. it's, it's an amphetamine and, and it, they were it, called what um i ritalin think and were, ritalin and ritalin and concerta correct um and they would speed up your metabolism. And the main reason why they gave it to you was because they wanted you to be uber-focused, hyper-focused on something because they thought you had ADHD, which the is... The thing we got was hyper. Yeah, yeah, they, they, you know, they wanted you to pay attention. And looking back on it, if you look at yourself and you're picking off parts of your nose because you have to be hyper-fixated on something, like, that's that's meth head activity, I'm not going to lie. Like yeah. that's and like coloring in the and crossword yeah, that's puzzles. something that tweakers would do and it's it probably at that point i mean no one realized it but at that point someone who with a better education that would have been there had we not been in new hampshire probably would have said something what was your perspective when the journey started in my eyes is when uh dan took me back from Marta's and he goes hey what are your thoughts on a tutor and it's may freshman year first summer being from high school to a new grade somewhere where i'm driving i think i'm hot stuff not hot stuff Driving a hundred dollar piece of crap, but I think I'm hot stuff. Um, and doing boat parties and stuff and pool parties, watching me um, write the alphabet in sand and in the sky, and use weighted pencils and learn the alphabet and ABC for a couple hours every other day during the summertime. What was your perspective on that experience? Um, I would imagine for a lot of people who probably didn't have the the background in which I had, which, which was also doing a lot of that stuff when I was younger, um, it probably would have been very humbling. And I know my mom, our mom, uh, was were very humbled by that experience as well because it's sort of like teaching a five-year-old how to spell in the alphabet because you didn't even know how many letters are in the alphabet until you were in sophomore year. I, I understand that. And I know for me when I was in you know first, third grade, very young, I would do a lot of that as well. It would be like, all right, here's an S, trace the S. Here's a new grip on your pencil. Try and figure out, you know, how to write a B. 
And it was, you know, a lot of stuff like that. It's it's very similar. I never had trouble comprehending what I was reading, but it was always the expression. It was the writing that was difficult that I think we both could probably relate on. Yeah, for sure. So with me not going to college and you going to college, what is one of the biggest life... So you have now a perspective on someone very close to you that didn't go to college, but you're going. So you kind of you get a lens on both sides, right? Yeah. So what's your perspective on college versus not college? What have you learned? I think college is very circumstantial. For instance, if you would like to be a lawyer, I would suggest going to college. If you would like to be a stockbroker, I'd suggest going to college. If you want to be a doctor, I'd suggest going to college. However, I don't think college is this magic bullet that a lot of people think it is. I think it's, you know, people who go to college and they don't know what they're going to do. It's like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, some random major that I don't even know. Like, pick a major that, you know, underwater basket weaving, right? <laughs> yeah. not, not really a, a conducive major to receiving a diploma that's going to give you a, a, a future that you'd want. So I think a lot of people misuse college for that because they don't know what direction their lives are heading in and they're scared. So what they try and do is they go, well, I'm just going to use this magic bullet of college to fix all of my woes and everything will go away. Well, the problem with that is you haven't really fixed anything. You've just elongated the amount of time you're going to sort of until you have to face the reality. And the reality is, is I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. And with college, I think it would exacerbate that because not only do you have that, but now you have $100,000 in debt you have to deal with and no job. So I think it's very circumstantial. For instance, like I said before, if you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, a stockbroker, something that would require a degree and would be applicable to those fields, I would say 100% go to it. You know you want to do that, go. But if you really have no idea, I wouldn't jump to college as the first thing of magic bullet. Please help me. I have no clue what I'm doing. So I think that college is very traditional. Like, and it's, I think we're veering away from it being traditional and more of like an option, right? So with that, you know, before we went to trade school, the view on trade school was, that's it. Trade school and kids in school who were at honor classes and stuff, kids would tell me, oh, you're going to BOCES. That was the trade school we went to. Yeah. And it'd be looked down upon. It's a negative thing. Oh, you're going to boast to learn how to be a uh, guy who cuts grass. edges, Guy who paves. Guy who does construction. Guy who does carpentry and plumbing. And that's it. You just live the blue collar life and that is it. And you're not worth more and stuff like that. That's the experience and give back and feedback I got from going to trade school to not doing anything kind of solidifies exactly what their thoughts were and them being correct which is where my insecurities are not going to college and doing the trade comes from. But now you're going to college and you did the trade, so you were like the exception to the rule. I'd assume so. I mean, I wouldn't say I was the exception to the rule. For instance, I had a class. It wasn't just me with Dr. Brightman in a class like, all right, guys, let's do A&P. No, it was me and like 25 other kids. And I'll tell you that um, the idea behind that trade school was very interesting, and I liked it because it wasn't just hands-on work for kids who – maybe don't like school or or fed up with school and all that kind of stuff with this it was more of an option for instance i got all my college credits that i i used in college to to you know for in boces i had like you know english 101 english 102 i had anatomy and physiology i had you know all these I, i walked in with like 20 credits because of of BOCES and it was actually easier to obtain those credits from BOCES than it was if I went to an A and um, an honors class an honors class right because with an honors class it's oh you did the entire coursework but if you don't pass this one test at the end of the year 
There's no credits, but you've paid for it. With BOCES, it was, all right, here's an accredited college through a community college. You're going to get the credits if you pass the class. There is no end test. You just get the credits. So the people who would be like, oh, well, I'm in these honors classes. I'm better than you. I think they didn't do that because they truly thought they were better than you or me or who else. I think it was just a way of a high school kid hiding his insecurities and trying to feel better about himself. So with you being so intellectually and book intelligent, Xander Einstein, woohoo, right? (laughs) In my connection, you being in the small classes too. And I was incredibly insecure, which is why I dove over the desks and yelled some crazy things yeah, and made everybody laugh, but... Algebra class. <laughs> you Were you ever insecure about being in those small classes? I was never insecure because I, I was never one of the people in high school who cared about what others thought. Like, I was, you know, I was the weird kid. I was the kid who would hang out with people no one liked to touch, or I'd, I'd watch things that people thought, oh, that's weird, you know, stuff like that. I I never cared about what people thought. And I just stuck with me. I didn't have other people's opinions change my mind on things. I just said, you know what? I like to learn. Academia is what I love. I'm going to do that. And the small classes were just a product of my disability. I mean, and I think the longer I went in high school, I think I wasn't on the small classes sophomore year. That's when I just had a teacher, a second teacher in the room. And that was with a lot of other kids. Like that was just normal classes. So, you know, I didn't know that part, you know, the way you felt. And I always felt bad, as our parents did, too. Um, but for me to be doing what I'm doing, um, I strive to be more like that, like you. Because, you know, I waited till I was out of high school to start doing this. Because I was so terrified of what people would say. And I was so terrified about what people would think. And everybody had something to say and something to do and judge. And, you know, today I don't, I don't believe in judgment, right? You, you know my... Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's an opportunity in any, any conversation with anybody you meet. So for uh, you thought that way forever? Yeah, because I, I understood that no matter what they think, they're not going to live with my life choices. For instance, if they goat me into doing something that's horrible, like if they say, you know, jump out of this car going 15 miles an hour and I fall over and knock my teeth. True story, by the way. Someone in our class actually did that. Um, they don't have to deal with getting dentures if I knock my teeth out. But that funny video on social media, that's theirs. They don't care about me. They care about what other people think of them. And they will do anything they could in their power to have that be positive or attentive or whatever they were seeking. So I understood that with high school, a lot of people who for 15 seconds or whatever wanted to do stuff, they didn't care about you so much as they cared about how other people thought of them. Wow. So there's a lot about your character. You just earned a lot of respect from me. Thank you. Um, that's, that's awesome. So what would you say to a kid who is, we'll throw 10 years old in. Okay. Just found it. He's got a disability. Yeah. What? What would you tell him? What I would tell him? Um, he's in a small class. He wants to hang out with people. He wants to be with his friends. He wants to succeed as, as many, most do. But he also, I mean... Yeah. I'd say don't worry about what other people tell you. Don't worry about what other people think of you. Worry about yourself and worry about your future because at the end of the day, the people who pass judgment on you, they're not going to be the people who are going to be either reaping the rewards or trying to overcome the failures that you in your life will have to 
you know, deal with. They're not, they're not going to be there for that. They'll be there for the five seconds that it takes for them to say something about you. That's all. They're not going to be there for the rest of your life. And when they're gone, what else is there except yourself, your achievements, and your family? So just keep your eye on the ball of what really matters and not what everyone else is doing or thinking. So that's awesome. Awesome. So with that being said, you are going to college to be what? I'm going to college to hopefully become an orthopedic surgical physician's assistant. And you've always wanted to be medical. I, yes, I have. Is that a dream of yours? Uh, it, it has always been a dream um, because I, I've always thought to myself that I would like to not only help people, but help people in a way that no other, no other person can. For instance, with orthopedic surgery, which is what I want to pursue, there is an intimacy there that is found in no other profession, right? So if I'm your, your physician's assistant and I'm, your, I'm going to be helping perform a surgery on, let's say, your hip being replaced, you don't really know who I am. You don't know where I live and you don't even know who I'm married to. But you're going to let me cut you open and play with your insides. That's an intimacy that's not found in any other profession. And they trust me to help them. And not only that, it's the reward of the patient the next day, getting up out of their bed, even if it's with a walker, walking and they're not going to have any pain. They're going to be like, wow, I haven't felt pain or no restrictions like that since 20 years ago. And that's very fulfilling. So what is your belief on the word dream? Well, define what you mean by belief. So, you have goals and ambition. Yes. Is a doctor a goal or is it a dream? Um, well, I, I, like I said before, it's not a doctor. It's a physician's assistant and it's a goal. Um, I, I think dreams turn into goals once you start setting things into motion. And dreams are what you can fantasize about, but goals are what you start to set into motion and try to actively create your reality to to become right so i can dream about being a doctor but if i never go to college if i never do anything that i would need to do in order to make that a reality it will forever be a dream the minute i step foot on that college campus the minute i start getting good grades and apply to different graduate schools then it's a goal so little off topic here you have i don't know if they're goals or dreams to you but you are interested in watches and cars well yeah i think those are more like hobbies and interests yeah are they Certain watch and certain car. Is that a goal or a dream? Be honest. Uh, they're honestly, right now, they're a, a, I'd say they're a dream because I do not have the financial fortitude in which to make that a reality quite yet. However, once I do get my profession and my job all aligned, I would hope for it to become a goal. Do you ever have a fear of doing this whole thing in your life, right? Yeah. In school, doing trade school, watching surgeries on smart TVs and you know, studying in college and doing the after grad, and then you get in there. You did the internships, right? You get in there. First day, you're a PA. You made it. Yeah. You know, you're, you're Xander, Dr. Smith. Yeah. One it, month in, you go, this isn't for me. That's not going to happen because I've, I've wanted to do something along these lines since I was probably five years old. And I think you know that, and my family knows that, but for everyone listening, I think that's what I've always wanted to do. I don't think it's going to change because I now achieved my goal. It's not like I sit there at the top of the mountain and go, well, what now? It's, well, now I can live out my my goal. I can be the person I want to be and I can help the people I would like to help. Awesome. So you, um, would you call yourself competitive? 
well, define <coughs> in, in what arena would you like me to define myself as competitive? Educationally speaking. Um, well, I think with education, it's less with com- competition and more about focusing on yourself. So I compete with myself. For instance, my first semester, I got like, I think a 3.5 and the next semester I shot for higher and I got a 3.6. So I compete with myself, but I don't compete with others. You look up to anybody? In what aspect? Any. Any aspect? Yeah. Um, I mean, I look up to Dan, our dad. I look up to him tremendous amounts. I look up to Pappy. I look up to a lot of people. Um, but for what reason do you look up for to Dan? I mean, for well, to Dan, um, for him, just the the generosity that is Dan. It's the you know, I don't have to take care of these kids, but I will. I don't have to do any of the, anything for these kids, but I will. Not because I have to, but because I wish to and I know it's the right thing to do. And that is something that I think not only everyone should strive for, but something that I wish everyone would achieve in this world. Because if everyone did, it'd be much better. So you look up to Pappy too. Same, similar reason or different? Pappy, his nickname's Nice Guy Larry. Like, yeah. he is giving. If he had negative $3, he'd give 5 to charity. Yeah. Like, that's how that guy is. And that's something I think, once again, similar to Dan. It's something that I think everyone should strive for. I mean, not obviously to financial detriment, but to some degree, just being nice and kind and courteous to others. It's something that not everyone has. And I think most people should. It's awesome. Do you look up to anybody else? Do I look up to anybody else? Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I look up to you, but I would say that I'm proud of your accomplishments, if that's what you're looking for. No, I was looking for, a, I appreciate that, but I'm looking for like a celebrity or a doctor or somebody you met in your internship. That you're like, oh, I strive to be like him. Or I strive to be in his position or I strive to do this. Um, in your career or your goals or your outlines in life? Um, there was this one PA I met. I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot his name, but I, I, I had the opportunity to speak with him and he was such a accomplished person. For instance, he had, I think he was chief PA and he got bored of spine surgery, so he switched to neurosurgery. That's the level of intelligence we're talking uh-huh. here. Like that is something that I've never seen before. And that is a level of commitment and a level of just sheer intellect. I don't think I've, I could even articulate properly. So I appreciate having you on here. One thing you would tell the audience of anybody with dyslexia, uh, anybody who's discouraged, anybody who's in a rut, anybody who's got a disability and they're down about it. Um, don't beat yourself up too hard if, because you, the only person you have is you and your family. Don't beat yourself up too hard and ignore what everyone else say and just focus on what is important to you and do not get distracted by anything else. Remember, everybody, you only fail when you stop trying. Xander, I really appreciate you coming on. You're the man. I'll continue to look up to you. Go kill it at college and hopefully you'll cut me up one day. Thank you for having me. Of course.